0: And welcome to Metaverse Cast. In this episode, I'm talking with Alex Kuniewicz from London. He went from being a sports journalist to currently working in a studio that creates a lot of solutions or projects around Web3 and AR and VR and things like that. The conversation we had, I tried to get into learning. You know, what are the specific technologies involved in building things for Web3 at the moment? I think it's sometimes because things are moving so fast, it's a little bit difficult to see, you know, what am I supposed to be doing And now? You know, are you supposed to program everything from the ground up? Is there systems that you can use that are already doing some of the work for you? All of these things comes out super, super fast at the moment. So it was great talking to Alex to learn about, okay, what are they, you know, people who are really in the trenches working with these kind of projects right now, what types of technology are they using and and what have they seen in terms of where things are going and, and where things are, are coming from. So if you're curious about things like this, this episode is definitely for you. Let's dive into the conversation. Hello, Alex. Thank you for taking the time to uh, talk to me.
1: No problem. Uh, happy to be here.
0: Great. Um, let's just start about, uh, you know, talking a little bit about who you are and and uh, and what it is that you do.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Alex Konovich. I'm a principal consultant at Byte, who are a tech agency headquartered out of uh, London. Uh, we were bought about a year ago by Dept, who are a larger agency headquartered out of the Netherlands. So we are transitioning to being called Bike Dept. Um, my background initially, my career was in um, sports journalism, working for the BBC here in the UK. I worked for Abu Dhabi Media Company for a few years in the Middle East. Uh, I was head of content at Liverpool Football Club for a year. Uh, and in 2015, I, I co-founded a VR AR company and i've worked in the uh, immersive tech space for you know the last seven years doing different things ar vr last couple of years i worked for a company called holoviz who do a lot of experiential design and technology that goes into theme park rides and immersive visitor attractions and then i joined uh by depth in january um as a principal consultant as i say on the tech team where um, Byte has done so much great work in web two social campaigns dynamic advertising chatbots, and they were getting more and more requests relating to web three and for existing clients and new clients so i was kind of brought in to help facilitate those conversations kind of get to understand clients needs and then take them if if appropriate into the world of web three whether that be gaming nfts ar etc
0: okay cool that's that's a lot of uh stuff uh, no I'm, I'm currently thinking about i'm listening to a lot of developer uh founders uh stuff you know for for figuring out okay how is it that we actually build uh things in uh, in the, in in web3 because it seems to be going all over the place uh if you if you are looking specifically at nfts what are kind of the technologies that you are working with at the moment, like blockchains and you know, different languages
1: and, and how, how you're working at the moment? Sure. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a developer or software engineer, so don't, uh, I can't go into great detail. But we at depths use um, Algorand, which is uh, an open source NFT marketplace. Anyone can go there and download it and personalize it. Um, we use Algorand uh, because it's very easy to be a white label solution that we then uh, can create for brands we just did the marketplace for spin magazine selling off their uh as NFTs uh, copies of their front cover uh but it's also uh, a couple of things one it's carbon negative Uh, I think we get a lot of questions from brands who are very interested stroke concerned about the environmental impact of nfts uh you know and obviously a lot of these brands have environmental and green policies in place so that's why we use it but also it's it's proof of stake, not proof of work, so it's a it's a lower barrier to entry. You know, people can use a credit card; it's, they don't have to go through, send up wallets and gas fees, and just you know lowering that barrier barrier to entry. You know, when we think about, I guess, crypto bros and 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 the kind of the, the, the pure nature of you know proof of work and Ethereum and everything. That's not, I don't think that's going to fly long term to have mass appeal because of the amount of energy that's used and and the barrier to entry. I think as we get to Kind of more layer two stuff uh, but also just easier barriers to entry whether it doesn't have to be an nft it can be a digital token so yeah algorand and algomar has been kind of our go-to solution uh, for a lot of our projects for some projects we might just have a company come to us and say can you write our digital contracts for for our DAO for our place to earn objects we might have people just say can you create um the actual NFTs, physically what they look like, and then we'll sell them on OpenSea or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it, we, have, we have different clients uh, asking for different things, but certainly Algorand and Algomart is our go-to when we are creating um, white label solutions.
0: All right, interesting. So uh, I want to dive a little bit further into that because uh, that's that's new to me. Uh, I think I hear about super cool apps and and things like that multiple times daily. daily. It's getting a little bit hard to, to keep track of it all um it's open source tell me a little bit what's it called algorand
1: yeah a a A l g o r a n d um and yeah it's open source um rocket insights who are an agency who's also acquired by depth those guys are based out of the east coast of america they do a lot of the work on that and are kind of heavily tied in to that project um so understand that marketplace and as you say there are lots of competing marketplaces at the minute and obviously people want to say you know we're the place to go to. we're the place to go to. but you know we believe those characteristics of our ground that can be completely um branded as a client wishes nfts can be traded sold given away for free vouchers redeemed you know it's just a very simple interface to use a credit card as you would buying something on amazon or whatever um you know it ticks a lot of boxes and as i says the I think at one stage it was carbon neutral, but now it's carbon negative, and that is such a big box tick for, you know, I've, I've been meetings with clients where half the conversation has just been about environmental, environmental impacts, nothing else, because it is such a concern. Um, so yeah, it's something that has really worked for us on uh, in, in a matter of levels, and, you know, I think it is getting definitely getting more traction, but obviously there is still such a big variety of, um, you know, you know, uh, board outs bringing out their own currency and stuff. So you know, th- th- there is such a big uh, competitive market at the moment. But, but you know, Algorand is is kind of one we, we base our offering around.
0: Cool. Um. How did you you know how did you 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 worked is seven years with immersive technologies. You know, how does that? What's the story behind moving into creating? like these marketplaces um, for for people? You know, how, how, what's the transition
1: story there? Uh, initially, uh, in 2015, the company I was working for, we did a lot of 360 video, you know, we would go and film an NFL game in America in 360 video and then show it to fans at the NFL street party in London. And a lot of the stuff we were doing there was through phones, through obviously Samsung, Samsung Gear, Samsung working to use VR as a way to sell phones. Then we started doing more AR and um, some really interesting projects with Big Pharma and people like that. Um, and, and then the last couple of years, as I said, I was doing more the technology that goes into the theme park rides, augmented reality roller coasters, immersive experiences where you can go in and the whole environment, you know, you're tracked for sports games, you know, the ball is tracked, your score is tracked, your hitting targets on the wall, and that, that sort of thing. So um, I've always been kind of in and around you know, the gaming space, the immersive space. Um, a little less around NFTs, although it's something that's been on my radar and, you know, that sort of thing, and learning about them and understanding the market and getting involved myself uh, the past year or two. Um, and I think it's, it's something now that a lot of people are curious in, obviously Bored Apes and, and a few others have really driven it. Um, I remember getting a call a few years ago from, um, through a contact from a well-known um, NFC company who wanted to get into the Premier League. Uh, And I had various contacts just having worked at Liverpool and and worked as a a sports journalist. And I approached all these clubs on their behalf and no one wanted to know um, because the the Premier League can be different because the Premier League has so much money. It doesn't have to innovate. It it can wait for the people to be first movers. Whereas if we look at big American sports leagues, they like to innovate. Premier League doesn't innovate. So nobody was interested. Fast forward a few years, Premier League's got its own NFT range, you know, two companies, because it's seen other companies and other leagues drive drive that and obviously understands that it's um you know it's something they can do an interesting kind of cultural phenomenon that i find here in the uk compared to other countries is when we look at things like socios things like that all these different um football related ones where you by getting the nft you can you know have a bit of a say vote on what songs are played at half time and all that there is a lot more skepticism and cynicism around nfts and sponsorship in the uk than anywhere else in europe or the world i find certainly no other countries will just look at it as, oh, it's just another sponsor, it's just another company putting their name on the shirt or, you know, an, another billboard. Whereas in the UK, there is a lot more scrutiny about these kind of companies, what they do, what the benefit fans get out of it, uh, et cetera. So it's, it's really interesting to see from that 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 perspective. And we are kind of involved in, in talks with, with various kind of sports clubs and teams at the minute. And, you know, done right, obviously NFTs can have, Real value and, and, and true value. I think when we're talking to clients, we also talk about uh, intrinsic, and extrinsic value. Intrinsic value being being given this NFT gives you access to, to things, to stuff, content, exclusive events, um, you know, and, and a roadmap, not just a one off. Versus extrinsic value, where you're not thinking about the thing you own, you're just thinking about selling it. You know, I, I don't think any brand should be going into this area thinking about. It's, you want to make people millionaires so you're going to make them rich it's more what can you what value can you give them and, and in some ways you could say well is that the same as a loyalty card or a membership yeah it is it's exactly the same as that but people are putting more of a priority on their digital presence and what they own in their digital wallets and in the same way that you know you might show a rolex or a nice car or have nice clothes uh, a nice collection of nfts is now similar to that the um fish restaurant that Gary Vaynerchuk is is opening up now he I think raised 15 million dollars um by selling those tokens at the start of the year they're reselling for thirty thousand dollars now some of them now that's just to get in the restaurant so you know that again is very much a status thing and I think you know um for some brands the status thing is right I think sports brands are really interesting because they have such a, a captive passionate audience that you could really utilize that for good you know I know I know fans that have clubs that have been investigating nfts as possible you know ways to get into the stadium you know i know um south by southwest was it last week there was someone that had um, an nft rfid reader so you could just touch your phone and you know use it to trigger an experience or something like that so sports clubs and football clubs are definitely interested in this space you know they have a passionate fan base around it but you know for me it's got to kind of be done right in terms of the right kind of rewards rather than just something that people buy this initial rush and then you know people lose interest
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I've been thinking similar thoughts in terms of the utility of NFTs. One of the things that I really like is the whole access utility, both as like a universal um, login uh, for things, uh, because uh, logins, you know, we deal with a ton of logins every day, Mm -hmm. which could be much easier handled if you just have the NFT in in your wallet, Uh, but also for events, like sports events, but also music events and, and things like that. Um, and I I totally agree with you that you know you shouldn't go into this space like trying to like create something that will be like the new board ape like uh, value like that. Uh, you know that will happen naturally. But there's also like two things because and that ties into the marketplaces. I've he- I heard a lot of people like talking about like creating their own marketplace and, and things like that. And and I'm just thinking if there's if everybody has their own marketplace, you know, has that an influence on the value? Because you know, there's also a saying that if you want to create something that that gets sold out in like Seconds, then you have to create it on Ethereum so it can be traded on OpenSea and stuff like that. So what, what what's the difference between you know that thought and then you know the companies uh, or you know people who wants to create their own um,
1: marketplaces in that? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that's very you will see in the coming years. I would imagine a handful of companies buying these marketplaces to kind of bring them all together, much as you see with media companies and in the past TV stations or radio stations or whatever it might be I think you will see an amalgamation of that And if you look at Spatial which is a nice little um, meeting space gallery space demo space um, for example those guys at the minute you can sell NFTs through it but it's just through OpenSea because I think OpenSea tends to be the go-to just because people have heard of it and obviously it's got the numbers but I know those guys for example are going to be introducing more on different, um, and different marketplaces and yeah there is very much the battle as we see the board out to be you know to be that currency right the currency that everybody wants the currency that everyone buys but, uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated in how you know we decentralized the point of where we have 5-10 million marketplaces well obviously how do the currencies transact and what are the exchange rates and everything you know it, it's everyone's trying to be the one everyone's trying to be the platform at the minute and that's obviously what Mark Zuckerberg was thinking with Meta you will have be really good, big AR companies like Niantic wanting to be saying, "No, we're the platform, we're the AR platform." So, lots of people are trying to put their their stake in the ground for the metaverse. And I think, you know, if you if you you know read for people far smarter than me, there is some kind of NFT correction, crash, whatever you want to call it, coming. But I think in much the same way that in 2000 the internet crashed, um, it, the, the dot com boom crashed. It didn't mean the end of the internet. It didn't mean the internet kind of stopped. It just meant there was a, a correction. And I imagine you're going to see something similar. I'm really interested in board Apes because, you know, they've put out those trailers. Are they going to be launched? You know, they're launching some games. Obviously, the Yuga Labs uh, proposition deck got leaked all around the internet, so people have had a good look at that uh, and, and some of the roadmap stuff. Um, I'm really interested to see how these games do and if, if they're going to go into even animation, movie, storytelling and stuff, you know, how those characters of board Apes kind of stand up to the scrutiny of, you know, the characters we're all used to seeing every day, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, whoever, Bart Simpson, whoever, were who kind of been crafted and created over a long period of time. Because, you know, we're at the stage now where board Apes are a proper Web3 brand, you know, much like DressX, Fabricant, Artifacts, you know, companies like the fashion people have been driving it. So this is the first real time that, you know, they are looking at a company I like that is going to go mainstream. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see if it catches on and people do get interested in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It is super interesting. And uh, one of the things you mentioned, gaming. And that's also very interesting. And what I find interesting, you know, we, we can dream about all the scenarios of the future, which is, you know, uh, I, I think both you and I can agree that there's, there's a lot of stuff here that's, that, that could be fun and, and interesting. But one of the things I find really interesting is how much the waters are divided in gamers. know some people really seem to passionately hate Uh nfts and and then there's uh like a whole different and i think probably like new people getting into at least game development you know which could be good and bad uh but still you know what do you think you know if you're a company you advise companies all the time you know if you if i'm a company and I'm, I'm considering going into this space, like it could be gaming, it could be, you know, access tickets and things like that. And we have this, you know, where the fans are divided into like uh, four and uh, and passionate haters. So you know, mm. what what
1: would you what, what's your thoughts on that? I think just just generally speaking, as I said, we do work with DAOs, so we work with the DAO who have scholars who work on Axie Infinity, and they will obviously buy those kind of creatures and then have other people um play them for them and their are that their their profit share and stuff and yeah it's very interesting how certain companies have taken a couple of steps into that and then rode back because of the backlash and gamers you know the, the ceo of EA Sports said he saw um play to win gaming is the future but i i wonder whether that he's just saying that to play both sides of the coin if, if you think about Web3 and the decentralization, the decentralization all comes back to things like 2008 crash, people not trusting the government with their money, they, they wanted to take full control of their finances and have the government not involved. Now, obviously, that could be coming to an end quite soon if America starts looking to class NFTs as securities. But, you know, to, to Web3 purists, that they couldn't possibly understand why someone would buy a skin in the game, pay money for it, and only be able to use it in Fortnite and Roblox. Um, you know, where, you know that they just couldn't stone my Why can't you create something yourself and i can sell a sword or a car or a gun to you um that helps you play game and then there's some kind of contracts where i get five percent of future sales um you know so everything is looked about through the lens of money um and i don't always think that's a particularly good thing you know I, I, but i totally get it. they will say well you're paying for something that isn't you don't actually own and to a lot of people they don't care the experience is i want to just get a new skin on Fortnite or roblox and play with it not, and that might be just, be, just be because they're kids but ultimately um there was um a software engineer from a big tech company i forget which one on, on on linkedin basically said you know a good user experience does not include filling in a tax form every time you buy or sell an item in a game you know and, and that's the that's the reality of what nft gaming could look like um, you know slightly maybe far-fetched or dystopian, but not without its kind of merits. And if you think about again how these games are managed, if you're someone who uh maybe it's a tough life or you know don't particularly like your job, your one escape is gaming. You know, and in the evening you play a particular game and you're the best or one of the best. And that is the happiness you get in your life. And suddenly you have big esports teams or people with more money than you that are able to buy the kind of the best artifacts, the best guns that best weapons you are kind of closed out of that now i know games have said you know we will make sure we'll go to efforts to make sure this doesn't happen but that is a big concern as well of you know people have paid their 40 pounds 50 pounds 60 pounds whatever it is for a game they don't want them to be you know they they like the choice of having in-game purchases but ultimately they don't have to spend money in order to level up which i think is what they see it is now obviously in a lot of games you you do pay money to level up or level up quickly you can do that but i just think it's it's seen as taking away the purity and giving some people an unfair advantage in the eyes of some. So you may well get to the point where much how mobile gaming is just a different vertical to console gaming, although there is obviously crossover in certain ways. I imagine you'll get to the stage where you get Play-to-Earn again being a separate vertical. Um, Fascinating to see long term what happens with Play-to-Earn and, and consoles. because At the minute, it's, it's kind of all mobile and, and, and computer based on the whole. So... It's a really difficult one. And I think, you know, no big games company has put their hand up and said, we're going to do this. And I think they'd be they're wiser letting smaller companies do it and then acquiring them. Or you know, seeing companies that kind of specialise in that space and doing it. Because at the minute, um, I don't think there's quite the right system there to be able to, to do it at scale. And, and like I said, it's still lots of people do find it really off putting
0: Yeah. I, I totally agree, and, and and I can see it from their point of view uh, as well, because there is there is uh, issues. Um, there was uh, a YouTube video out not long ago, which I also wrote a, a piece on LinkedIn, or post on LinkedIn about, and 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 well, from my experience, you know, some of the gamers I know are super conservative. You know, not only in games but in life. Uh, and, and, and I think that's probably those kind of people in all. And maybe especially in, in whatever fan culture you are, you are like a part of. Uh, because I, I remember it myself, you know, I, like, I used to listen to uh, you know Twisted sister and our maiden and it's always with, the, with these bands, right? It's like like play some of the old stuff. You know, that's a classic. So I think we all have this level of of conservatism. And then there's, you know, somebody's just having a party, uh, like really, really, uh, like speaking in in very strong uh, terms about it uh, online, um, which is causing a little bit
1: of friction. I think as well, when we think about gamers, like people say, oh, gamers, I think, there are up to four billion people in this planet that play games. You know, a lot, a lot of mobile phones. But you're not talking about a small amount of people. You know, you're talking about millions and millions of consoles sold every year. So, to, to put all gamers as a certain type of person, maybe that whole cliche of you know, oh, we live in living in your mum's basement or whatever it might be. You know, it's just not true. It's it, it, it's people in offices. It's people on building sites. It's it's the rich. It's the poor. It's, it's everyone. Most people are playing some kind of computer game. So that there is, you know. Real mass appeal, and and, you know, in in a lot of ways, gaming tech will underpin a lot of the metaverse. However, you wish to find that word, you know, in terms of Unreal and Unity and stuff. But yeah, it's a real, it's a mass market thing. It's not just thinking about a small amount of people. Although there's obviously a particular minority that are are very vocal about it because they 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 believe in what they currently do and are very happy doing it. And you know, human beings just generally, you know, we've seen it with Web three across the board. You know, human beings don't like change, uh, and you know, so that's something that needs to be navigated in a variety of ways.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's spot on, I think. Human beings don't like change. Um, I was thinking about, you know, one of the, one of the things that always fascinated we, me with, like, the gaming. I don't know if it's particular to gaming, but but definitely in this whole online space. I've been involved since the 90s. That's his whole, like, creation energy and there's a lot of stuff uh, one of the topics that i've talked to many of my guests with is how to actually start creating uh, things both you know um, in the metaverse uh, but also in like in terms of nfts and stuff like that and i'm thinking like you know if somebody would experiment you know creating play to earn or play and earn or whatever we want to call it nft based games uh, you know, at home in their basement, uh, just trying to, you know, uh, fiddle with the stuff. You know, do, do you have any recommend uh, recommendations on where to start and what what technology to use and you know, like I have with the marketplace.
1: Um, I I I think it's very much 3D tools. Where, you know, any, any tools that you're using to create 3D environments. So you know, it doesn't have to be Unity. Obviously, a lot of things end up in Unity or Unreal. But if you're making things in was it 3ds Max, Blender, things like that. Um, you know just the ability to create 3d objects and as you say doesn't have, can be really simple you know start with things that might be in a game but are also really easy like you know a sword or something like that you know stuff that is really simple to use i think just generally kids are um i was chatting to a guy at work the other day and he was like his son has been selling uh, making selling items of of clothing on roblox and stuff for, for, for quite a while and you know that the whole importance of you know i think and lockdown kind of accentuated this, the importance people put on their digital presence of how they look um, has got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where, you know, fashion has been, fashion industry is such a driver of a lot of um, N- you know, NFT fashion, you know, dress X where you buy the NFT, you can get that clothing put on a photo of yourself and then you can sell it. Um, you know, or companies like the Fabricant are just selling, again, native web brands that are just selling digital fashion, you know, artifacts get bought by Nike and you know, these companies are really thriving at the minute because people are spending more and more time digitally. They want to look and, you know, feel fresh, have the newest outfits, the best looks, whatever it might be, exclusive looks. So that's why, you know, anyone that can get into, I guess, looking to make 3D clothing as well or anything like that, th- there is definitely some kind of market for that. there. And again, we don't know what the end game is. Obviously, if we look at a company like Ready Player Me, where, you know, I think they have their avatars now going to 1,500 or 1,600 different environments, including some big ones, you know, VR chat and Decentraland and stuff. You know, they're getting, I think Pull&Bear have just announced that they're getting more, starting to get fashion brands involved in there. Uh, and, you know, if, if they keep expanding and suddenly being able to, you know, you can go on there, sign up for that place for free. If you, if you start creating content and clothing, which has been worn by people across multiple um, environments, then, you know, there are some relatively low barriers for entry starting points but I think kids now because they have access to computing and tech or a certain element of children do that it's also native to them I remember reading this great quote from Forbes magazine from last year uh, it was something along the lines of the next I, I can't remember if it was Coco, Coco Chanel or something else let's start Coco Chanel the next Coco Chanel is probably a 10 year old girl currently creating Roblox skins you know th- that is that is how you know the fashion industry is is being viewed you know when you're looking at some of the guys that are making amazing games and roblox are only just going to university now it seems so they'll be making you know games like my restaurant and pet simulator you know big games um, but those guys are making those games since they're in their early teens and are massively successful so i think what you're seeing is that the world's the world and the technology is kind of being created by people in their you know 20s 30s 40s 50s but actually the people that are going to get the most benefits and probably doing things and tinker around already are the kids that are, you know, are in there probably under ten, or in their teens, are just because they are, it's so they're so nascent that you know, they're growing up in a world of where a lot of their communication is done with friends in Roblox or Fortnite in a way that when I was a kid, everyone from the neighborhood just went and played football in the park until it went dark. You know, it, it's very different now, and because of that, that drive for digital identity is, is definitely becoming greater and greater.
0: Yeah. I've heard uh, similar things before. You know, where people are really surprised that a lot of super cool innovation uh, are coming from basically teenagers. Uh, and that's that's actually something I, I, I was thinking about a couple of years ago. That that we we don't you know I grew up with Commodore like '64. That was that was like the, the first uh, computer, and and you know kind of followed ever since. Uh, but, but this next generation who are born all, almost, you know, with technology in their veins, you know, they've been using uh, devices since they were kids uh, and and they will think about things in a completely
1: different way. Yeah, they will. Certainly my kids, seeing them kind of in lockdown for two years, you know, and that actually helped me get a much better understanding of Certainly Roblox and Fortnite, because they were six and eight when lockdown started, and now eight and ten. So seeing how they you know, use it as a way to communicate with their friends, they will ask me for money or virtual currency for skins in the game. They very rarely ever ask me for anything in the real world, you know, I want that T-shirt in the real life. But they want a skin or a look or an artefact or something for a game, because that's what they put importance on. You know, they put their importance on that, and that's where they're spending time with their friends, outside of school and stuff. So yeah, a lot of it does come. Very naturally for them, and I think there's a big something because Roblox is quite easy to create. Uh, you know that's why you're getting a lot of brands looking to go in there. It's fun and it's young, and it's also a way for brands to, I guess, tap into that next generation of their potential customers. You know, a lot of people on Roblox might not have um, the money themselves because they're too young. You know, they haven't got a, a, a bank card or something, but you know they've got one. The pest of power to talk to their parents about it, but also it's a way. You know, if brands can create great experiences. Uh, that people associate with that brand from a young age. You know, you've kind of got people there for life. You know, look at the the NFL, for example, has just committed to having a uh, a permanent, you know, persistent presence in Roblox. You know, they launched their Tycoon game just around the time of the Super Bowl and stuff. So that's you know, big global brand actually making a commit. Who were initially made a lot of money. You know, I think it was, someone said forty million dollars off selling just jerseys in the game. Now looking to actually have you know new games, new experiences, and kind of be committed to kind of keep pushing that generation of fans, you know, getting new generations of fans and pushing them through. And, you know, certainly they're we're working with the fashion brand and Roblox game at the minute, and they are looking to, I guess, partly democratise fashion and make fashion as widely available as possible, but also, you know, aiming at, you know, people that are within their demographic, but also perhaps slightly younger is great, you know, just on, on, on a base level, really great awareness from, that, from their point of view. But obviously it's got to be backed up by delivering a great experience. You know, there was one fashion brand over Christmas who made a really good game where you could kind of design your store, get stock in, order stock, design stuff. And the numbers weren't great. The numbers weren't, on the game weren't great at all, because I don't think they did a good job in kind of positioning the game and, and pushing people towards it. I think there was one you know, that, there was one slide on the kind of leaked Hugo Labs deck, which said, you know, build it and they shall come. And that was a really weird thing to put in that deck, I think, because after, you know, people like Board Apes talking about the importance of community, 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 well... The whole point is it's not build it and they shall come. You've got to build that. You know, you, you have to build everything around it, you know, to, to build up the community. Having a great experience on itself isn't enough. That's why we at kind of bike Depths have got an advantage because we do social campaigns really well. So, you know, the ability to actually push people towards an experience, you know, to a game, to, to a virtual world, whatever, is so important. You know, building something great by itself won't work even at the level of um, Fortnite, where there's, you know, up to 55 million players a day because there's probably, I think it's 8 million experiences, sorry, on uh, Roblox. Um, so yeah, R- Roblox, I think 8 million experiences, something like that, and 55 million daily plays. And obviously, most of those experiences aren't touched, but it's such a loud market, you know, you've got to find a way to cut through, just as you do now on social, you know, people are find, obviously find different ways to cut through into getting people to their Web3 experiences.
0: Yeah. I, I come from a, a marketing background myself, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm just curious uh, because it is, I totally agree with you that it seems to be that this whole build it and they'll come, you know, it, it has kind of been gone for, you know, it was gone before people started talking about Web3. Uh, but, but still, you know, building a community. And, you know that's there's different ways you know i heard the other day that you know some you know discord is, is where projects go to die <laughs> we've seen that a lot you know that's that's just how it is you know some it's not easy to 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 uh, to keep uh, momentum in a community and and especially get people into the community to build up the momentum so so what's what's been your experiences there and is there any uh, advice you can share
1: yeah i, th- I think you're you're right it, especially when you're talking about communities of you know tens or hundreds of people having to employ one two three people full time to then moderate something like that is you know is that w- worthwhile the investment I guess it depends if you've got hundred people that are you know and they're all high net worths and you're a, an uber high fashion brand or selling you know really expensive cars or whatever then maybe it is but yeah at, at scale it's difficult I know there's um another company who do uh, web 3 stuff we've got a discord which is around chat around Um, you know the industry and community and stuff and the first thing you see when you go on their discord server is a massive thing about warning people about getting spammed and stuff like that and I just think that's a really bad user experience if the first thing you set not that company's fault because they're having to flag up people have kind of been doing nefarious activity but that's not a great look for them as a brand either so have to go and the first thing you know you associate with that is negativity and if you you, you open that up and you think well OpenSea admitted 80% of the stuff on their platform was either kind of invalid stolen copied whatever 80 percent uh and, and all the negativity specifically around the nft world then you know the, all that noise will put a certain amount of people off you know get, getting involved or thinking that everything just a scam when it when, when it when it's not the case but obviously when you know the ability to make a quick buck and be able to do things relatively anonymously through wallets is obviously open to, to um significant abuse and yeah i think there's a lot of companies that we talk to that are you know, they talk to their customers and their clients on all sorts of different platforms. And you know, we have that conversation around Discord and is it right for them? And for some it is, for, for a lot it's not. And again, it, it comes back to what they want to do. What are their goals and aims as a business? Because we will define them before we even think about talking about technology and platforms and what they want to do. Because every company has a different goal or a different aim. It might just be, we want to make a splash. It might just be, we want to do some R&D. Um, we want to be first movers in this space, or we've seen that arrivals come into this space, So therefore we need to do it too. Um, everyone has different motivations. Um, I had a very interesting conversation yesterday about um, someone saying actually, you know, about brands that are too scared or nervous to go into this space, you know, it's becoming more popular to at least discuss things like Inventing sub brands, sub brands that may be in some way, you know, burner brands they were called, that maybe aren't even directly related to, at least on the face of it, two of these brands just to test the waters. You know, we've we've seen some brands go in with both feet and say, right, I'm going to spend five million pounds on land in the sandbox and stuff like that. And for me, that could be the best investment ever. It might not be such a great investment. You know, we don't know. I think sandbox at the minute has got thirty thousand users a month. Um, you know, so. Obviously, the, the footfall isn't there in terms of compared to some of the gaming platforms, but, they, you know, these platforms are just starting up. Same with Decentraland, I think, 300,000 a month, and their user base went up tenfold, was it, in, in Q4. So, you know, the Metaverse Fashion Week this week in Decentraland is a big thing. So I'm really interested to see these NFT land platforms, how they build, um, you know, and, and the value of their land, because, obviously, you know, people have taken, you know, investment and we want to you know we want to build land there. we want want to build a shop here so i'm really interested to see kind of you know what comes out of metaverse fashion week because obviously we associate roblox and fortnite with kind of the big splashes in a lot of ways and you know their animations are more refined because they're older platforms you know they're more developed and stuff so really interested to see the nft platforms how they are um, developing you know On, on the face of it it would always be very difficult for me to say to a brand you know just go and spend x amount of million here and you'll definitely get a return on it because I, I don't think we don't. Know what is uh,
0: what is some uh, uh, like methods you you know you like to use? You know I think we all have maybe things that we know and, and I don't really like the the term best practices because mm. I think you know when you follow best practices you're kind of like following the herd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not necessarily what you do. Again, as you say, you know, you don't really, you know, it can be this and that depending on what you're working with. But what are some of the, the best practices or the, your favorite methods to, to like bringing people into a,
1: uh, a community uh, that you've seen so far? We, we will probably have a matrix or we will mix one, what the brand wants to do with what their audience is. Um, you know, so if they want to raise awareness, and most of their customers are under twenty, then it would be very simple to go, yeah, let's put a game in Roblox, because you know, the very simple thing to do. Whereas if it's um, a high fashion brand, and you're talking people in their twenties and thirties spending a lot of money on clothing, then actually, would you want to do something potentially, you know, direct to avatar clothing or NFT-related that unlocks exclusive experiences? So we've kind of got a matrix that ties to. Um, you know kpi what you know demographic of audience uh and kind of where where they meet kind of will define what what the what what the experience is but then again you know you might have a client that says you know we definitely don't want to do nfts because we don't like the negative connotations so you've got to go well actually okay let's go back and have have a have a think about it so yeah it's it's definitely not one size fits all but there are ways to kind of speed up that process and i think the more, pro- like any business, the more projects you do in this space, then the easier it gets you know, and you get into a rhythm and it feels more natural and, you know, the, the more kind of, you know, oh, we've already spoken to a brand like this one before, so therefore we know kind of what works and what doesn't, not wishing to give them the same experience because they might want something completely different, but at least the more things you do gives you a better understanding. And that's what I would say to, to brands generally is don't be afraid, if you can afford to, to do a bit of experimentation. Now, I know for a lot of people in their job, they are marked, so therefore if you spend one hundred, two hundred thousand pounds in a metaverse project, and you didn't get X amount of visitors or X, X amount of revenue, then you know that that, that might be kind of a, a, a cross against you. But we're at the stage now where it's all about experimentation, and some of these experiments ultimately are going to work, uh, you know, and also help drive you know new customers. I've seen I was looking at a, 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 a jewelry brand's reading about them this morning about how. They've been looking to reposition themselves and part of what they were trying to do is potentially moving away from their traditional base and using web3 to do that so it's yeah it's it, it's really interesting that, that there are that there are so few guarantees at this at this stage but you know kind of through our experiences like i said matching demographics and client goals that should give us an idea to hopefully roadmap out what they can do in that space
0: yeah great there's no, yeah. I think that that is kind of the thing right now is that you know, try out. You know, you know, and, and my approach is always, you know, minimum viable project. You know, you know, what can we do in a small scale to to get as fast as possible as some kind of result that we can evaluate on. Uh, like using, I like to use the term, you know, using what we have on our desk, and then just see see what happens and and, and where it goes. Um, and I can see if you're a big brand, you probably have you know a little bit more on your desk to play with than if you are a, like a smaller company. Um, one of the things that I, I really like to ask people uh, in the end is, what is the stuff, the things, something that you look most forward to in this whole metaverse, uh, Web three space, on a completely personal
1: level. So having worked kind of on and off in VR for seven years, the big barrier to entry has always been putting in a headset. And that's no different now than than, it was when I started in 2015. And obviously people before that as well. It's because it's still still such a change in how you digest your content. You know, we went from reading a newspaper to reading uh, text on a screen to reading text on your phone. We went from watching TV to watching video on a screen to watching video on your phone. They were natural. There's nothing natural about putting a VR headset on. Um, and it, it's such a change in how we consume content. That has always been the challenge, even though we look at the, the quest to outsold the Xbox last year, if some numbers be believed. So for me, I really want to see what Apple's headset, whether when that comes out late this year or next year, is that the game changer we've all been waiting for? Because we assume like every other Apple product, it'll be sleek, it'll be stylish, it'll be easy to use. And, and most importantly, it will be tied to an ecosystem of content of apps and usability, much like when the um, iPod came out and tied to iTunes was what made it really take off. You know, there was MP players before that, but but this one, well, one, it looked amazing too, it was easy, easy to use, but also it had an ecosystem around it. And I think that that that's the thing that we want. You know, I've been, you know, I really like my Quest. I like doing VR meeting rooms. I would love uh, Horizon World to come to Europe and not just be North America like it is at the minute, um, but I really want to see what this, Uh, Apple headset looks like because just by the nature of who's making it and its design it's likely to drive people um you know it's things like headsets always been seen a bit of of a fad I think you know I've read good reviews of the new Magic Leap headset as well around AR and stuff so yeah the Apple headset for me could be the one which changes how we look at headsets and the type of content that we are making to put in them
0: yeah that's a very good point I think uh and I've had similar experiences, even though uh, I have found some VR uh, games and things that I like, but it is, it is, it is foreign, you know, we, we uh, on one of the first episodes we talked about it's like, it's a little bit like putting a pocket over your head, right? Then you're standing in, in, in a room uh, and, and for me, it's like, you know, I don't really, you know, I have small kids, I don't. Use my VR sets when they're around because you know I might punch them in the face or something, you know. Uh, and and still again uh, in the evening uh, when I'm just with my wife, it you know it, it feels like you know I might as well walk into a separate room uh, when I put on my my VR headset. So so it's it it's much more including or whatever everyone want to say, you know, social, if you just like sit and play a game on your iPad while, you know, somebody watches TV or, or you still feel like you're together, but you don't have that feeling unless you're both in the same yeah.
1: VR uh, space. Right. I think, yeah, VR, when I started doing it was definitely the the positive of immersion and the negative was um, the isolation. I think now you can have, you know, these these really cool meeting spaces and places you can look around and chat together. I think they, they are great. They work really well. But when I was working kind of in my last job, you know, themed attractions and things like that, there was definitely a phase of people, um, you know, big theatres where everyone's got a VR headset and stuff. And then I think um, theme parks and visitor attractions realised after a while that actually, you know, true shared experiences are the ones where you can walk around together and share an experience together, and interact with things and be able to look at the same screen and and, and, but all see entirely different things unique to you because all that stuff is is, is doable and achievable so certainly for for visitor attractions yeah um they've gone the other way i think people obviously watch ready player one and think that's the end game to the metaverse you know we are so far away from there in terms of hardware software and also just our our durability for wanting to put a vr headset on for hours and hours and hours every day you know i've done it in the past (laughs) i've watched entire football games and tennis matches just to see what that's like as an experience. After a while, it ain't great. You know, it, it, it's not good fun. And I think when companies before have done watch a match at the World Cup with your friends in VR, but actually you may all be in, in the environment together, but you're still watching it on two, in 2D. So if you're watching it in 2D, you might as well watch it at home with your feet up and talk to your friends on text or have a video chat on your phone or whatever it is. You know, there are other ways to do it. I know the NBA certainly is doing a lot more stuff now in kind of 3D capture and the ability to be able to watch it again. From any angle, which is really, really cool and interesting. Um, and but yeah, I'm I'm, so, I'm I'm into my quest, but I'd love to. I can't can't wait to see what Apple do, it. and and if that really does m- is the start of the market change. The much much how um, the iPhone uh, amps up the Apple phone uh, uh, iPhone uh, um, amps up the smartphone market in exactly the same way. Yeah, totally.
0: Uh, my only concern with that is that Steve Jobs is not around anymore to kind of push the boundaries of their innovation. Uh, hopefully they have some other, other forces, but, but uh, you know they haven't really been pushing the limits uh, uh, for a while, but I totally agree. And I think a lot of us kind of are looking to Apple to see, okay, what are they going to do uh, because of what they did? With the MP3 player and the smartphone, uh, and if they can do anything remotely as impactful to the like headset uh, VR space, that's going to be, yeah, that's going. You know, it, it is usually they they create these what is it called uh, milestones in history when they come out with with new things. Uh, I haven't really followed because I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, there's rumors, but I'd like, I can wait to just see the real thing. But now that we're at it, is it, you said, is it like late this year or uh, early next year? Yeah. The
1: the last thing, the latest things I've seen are later this year, early next year, they're working on some separate AR spectacles that I think are a few years off. Um, I think now, if you think about 5G environments and stuff, and obviously when we talk about this, this is all to very specific parts of the world, you know, essentially, you know, parts of the States, parts of Western Europe, it's not everywhere. And that's the other thing about, you know, the the idea of the metaverse being this great kind of, and Web3 being this great democratising force and everything else, obviously, because of the technology and the connectivity, it's not going to be the same everywhere. There's going to be parts of the world that are going to get this before other parts. And and also, as we look to create kind of the, what are the norms, what are the behavioural norms and everything else related to Web3 metaverse? And, you know, what are the rules and how they're different to Web2? How we see and view these rules in the West are likely to be very different to how other parts of the world see them. You know, when I look at people talking about identity and, you know, being able to change your identity or your sex or whatever, uh, your creed, your colour in the metaverse, you know, some people will be all right with that and others won't be. Um, I saw, uh, I listened to an interview before Christmas for a guy who had a startup. I I think he was supposed to launch Alpha in the the new year. I don't know. I haven't seen mention of it there where his company was essentially looking to create a behavior scoring mechanism in the metaverse. So, you know, if, if you're not trolling, if you're being polite and not swearing, you get access to all the worlds. If your behavior is bad or you're being mean or nasty or whatever, they're not. And I, 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 I just got me thinking, you know, if, if we think about how appalled people are in the West about, you know, China and credit scores and how that relates directly to what you can do and what you can buy. And then you have this supposed, you know, free utopia web three and actually people are talking about implementing the same thing there but but on a on a purely kind of practical level i don't think there's any parent in the world that would want their kids to be put into some kind of free-range utopia without there being rules and checks and balances etc you know and obviously a lot of this is wanting to move away from social media because of all the stuff that we see in there all the garbage and the trolling but you know Humans are still humans. So I'm not quite sure how the behavior is going to change in a, in a 3D environment to a 2D. But I guess, you know, we, we will see. We'll see what happens to that when it comes to people defining behaviors and who are the guardians and the gatekeepers of all of this. Yeah,
0: that that is. I think that's like an entire rabbit hole on its own because you are completely right. You know, we, we both have this, you know, we want the freedom, but with freedom, you know, also comes uh, people who have a different view of what you can use that freedom for. And, and then means that, okay, then we have to get some rules and then, you know, we're kind of back <laughs> where we started uh, and, and maybe even worse uh, and maybe not, you know, um, that, that's a super cool conversation. Uh, you know, let, let's give it a few months and maybe we can jump on and, and then, uh, then have that one. Because also both you and I have kids and, and that is super relevant, you know, without going into that, you know, people who have projects where they want to create social media on the blockchain, which is like probably the worst, like horrible idea in human history, exactly because humans are humans uh, and, and and blockchain stuff can't be removed. Uh, so that's a really, really bad idea, especially when kids are involved. Okay, but let's not start that because that was a super interesting, that was a cliffhanger for another episode, we have to do that. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, for talking uh, with me. It was uh, very, very interesting, I think. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you for taking the time. Hopefully, you know, you can remember some of the stuff that you mentioned and we can drop them in the show notes, you know, whatever links you have. Uh, you know, I always like to to try to, to drop a few goodies uh, for people in the show notes if they are researching and, you know, things like that. So, um, and also... Are you okay if people get in touch with you if you have questions or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I can,
1: I can, I, I can drop my uh, email or my link. I'll drop a LinkedIn profile, and that's fine.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. Well, thank you very much, Alex. No worries. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. It's kind of difficult to keep everything on one track in these conversations. I think because there's so many interesting angles and points of view and rapid holes you can dig down and for me at least i think it's important at this point to not try and steer anything in a particular direction because we are very much in discovery mode at the moment so i really like to figure out okay what you know, what are the problems that we run into on the way, and what are the solutions that people have found for it? And usually, you know, when we, you know, we solve one problem or we learn one thing, then we learn that there's okay, there's like 10 new problems lying under that. And I just think that that process is something that's super interesting and also very interesting to discuss, which is what I think this podcast format can. And then, of course, you know, when you're working to actually solve things. Getting a team together. To crunch on the problems. And actually put out some real stuff. Um, for like markets. And, and people to evaluate. That's a whole different matter. But I like this conversation. In the podcast format. Where there's no restrictions. You just talk about whatever comes up. So I hope it worked for you. For me at least. I got a lot wiser. And uh, also found out. I don't know how many new questions. That's just the way it is, isn't it? Thank you very much for listening. See you next time.